everybody, and welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I've got a big news show for you this week. We're going to start off with an update on the Facebook breach. Not quite as many people who were affected as we originally thought. Uh, it's only 29 million people, uh, whereas originally they were saying it could be 50 to 90 million. Uh, we're going to talk about a, how Google has shut down its Google Plus service after a security breach that happened months ago that they didn't tell you about. Uh, I'm going to circle back on something we talked about a while back where I talked about ordering my Lexus Nexus report, and I finally got that a few weeks ago, and uh, I kind of want to walk through what I got when because <laughs> it was massive. And finally, we're going to wrap up with the big story of the last couple of weeks, uh, which has been this Bloomberg article, uh, Bloomberg Business, that uh, broke this story about it claims as many as 30 U.S. companies have purchased compromised computer parts, uh, allowing the Chinese to spy on them. Obviously, a really, really big claim, and if true, would be a massive, um, massive problem. Uh, but there's a lot of nuances to this and a lot of unsure uh, parts to this. So we're going to go through that in detail. And finally, the tip of the week, uh, uh, October, if you didn't know, is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So uh, our tip of the week, we're going to give kind of a highlight of, you know, we talk a lot about in cases of how to protect yourself. And one of the best ways to protect yourself is to kind of close up some common security holes, uh, pat, you know, patch up the holes in the wall, the holes in, the, in your castle wall that might let somebody get through. So we're going to talk about some defensive, uh, some defensive tips on that for National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. All right, first up, uh, we told you a couple weeks back about a Facebook breach uh, wherein they believe that anywhere from 50 to 90 million accounts may have been compromised through a feature called View As, uh, the, Facebook, um, the Facebook feature that lets you say, I want to be able to see what other people see when they look at my uh, Facebook page, which is actually a very nice feature if you really want to verify that you know all the security and privacy settings you have are keeping it properly locked down. If I've locked down my stuff, I, I only want to show this to friends. But I want to verify that other people are not seeing these things on my Facebook post. Well, there's this view as feature that lets you view your website from someone else's perspective. Unfortunately, there was a bug in that feature that basically allowed you to compromise. <laughs> Once you did the view as, you could uh, get full access to that person's account. So that's obviously not good. Um, Reuters uh, published an article with an update on this, and uh, I'm just going to read you uh, a portion of that article. Cyber attackers stole from 29 million Facebook accounts using an automated program that moved from one friend to the next, Facebook Incorporated announced on Friday, as a social media company said its largest ever data theft hit fewer than 50 million profiles it initially reported. The company said it would message affected users over the coming days to tell them what type of information had been accessed in the attack. The breach has left users more vulnerable to targeted phishing attacks and could deepen unease about posting to a service whose privacy, moderation, and security practices have been called into question by a series of scandals. The attackers took profile details such as birth dates, employers, education history, religious preference, types of devices used, pages followed, and recent searches and location check-ins from 14 million users. For the other 15 million users, the breach was restricted to name and contact details. In addition, the attackers could see the posts and links of friends and groups of about 400,000 users. Facebook said it was continuing to investigate whether the attackers took actions beyond stealing data, such as posting from accounts, but had not found additional misuse. Hackers did not steal personal messages or financial data and did not use their access to, to accounts to access users' accounts on other websites, Facebook said. 
The vulnerability the hackers exploited existed from July 2017 through late last month when Facebook noticed an unusual increase in the use of its View As feature. The, the attackers used the View As flaw with a small handful of accounts they controlled to capture data of their Facebook friends, then used a tool that developed, they developed to breach friends of friends and beyond. Facebook patched the issue last month and asked 90 million users to log back into their accounts, many just as a precaution. Security experts have said Facebook's initial breach disclosure, disclosure arrived earlier than it likely would have prior to the enactment in May of the European Union's Data General, General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, which mandates notification within, within 72 hours of learning of a compromise. Okay, so basically what we've learned in the, in the last week or since we last talked about this is that while Facebook initially said it could have affected 50 to 90 million, million people upon further investigation, they believe it only affected about 29 million, which, of course, if you're one of those 29 million, is still a problem. And the 29 million is still a lot of people. Though, of course, Facebook, I think, has something over 2 billion active daily users. It's just crazy. So the main remedy remedy for this uh, at the time uh, was to log out of Facebook and log back in because when you log, I think I explained this last time, when you log into Facebook, uh, you, you give them your credentials and then they give you back this token, the session token. As long as you have that session token, you don't have to log in again. So it's basically your proof to say that we've already gone through this. I've already authenticated with you. Uh, this is my proof. This is the thing you gave me to show you every time I communicate with you that we've already gone through this process and I don't have to log in again. And the bad guys found a way through this view as feature to swipe those tokens and basically be able to act as if they are you who was already logged in. So the fix obviously was to log everybody out because that makes all those session tokens invalid because the next time you log in, you get a different session token. So anyway, it, more than likely Facebook has already forced you to log out if they thought you were affected. So you're probably already safe. If for some reason uh, you want to be absolutely sure, just log out of Facebook and log back in uh, and do that from all your devices. Of course, if this is finally the straw that broke your camel's back, maybe it's time to just delete Facebook altogether. That's what I did, and I have never been happier. Next up, Google uh, announced that it had a breach as well, and this was some time ago, actually. Uh, and it was in its Google Plus service. Uh, and its response to that, basically, first of all, they didn't say anything about it at the time. And I'll explain a little bit why that was in a minute. Uh, and they just basically decided, you know what, this service, <laughs> nobody's really using this service. It was a, they tried, they failed. Google does this a lot, by the way, if you haven't noticed. Google brings a lot of services online, even popular services, eventually says, yeah, I don't want to do it anymore. And they just quit because they're free. No one's paying for it. Uh, well, you're paying through it through your information, but you're not paying money for it. So it's not like if they just pull the rug out from under it that, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> so Google, Google tends to do this a lot. They've got so many services and, and, and when they decide that something is not good for them, that they just pretty much yank, uh, yank the rug out from under it. So anyway, let me read you a little bit of a, another article. Um, uh, this one, I believe is from a gadget and, uh, it goes a little something like this. Following a massive data breach first reported by the Wall Street Journal, Google announced today that it is shutting down its social network Google Plus for customers. The company finally admitted that Google Plus never received the broad adoption or engagement with users that it had hoped for. According to the blog post, 90% of Google Plus user sessions lasted for less than five seconds. In light of these newly revealed security concerns with Google Plus's API, uh, and an API is what we call an application programming interface, that's a technical term, but it's basically like it's the way computers talk to computers. 
So uh, in light of the security concerns with Google Plus's API, the computer has opted to put it out of its misery over the next 10 months rather than try and make the social network more secure. The company discovered a bug in one of Google Plus's people APIs that, that allowed apps to access data from Google Plus's profiles uh, that weren't marked as public. It included static data fields such as name, email, occupation, gender, and age. It did not include information from Google Plus posts. Uh, the bug was patched in March 2018, but Google didn't inform users at that point. Quote, we made Google Plus with privacy in mind, therefore keep this API's log data for only two weeks, unquote, the company said in a blog post. Quoting again, that means we cannot confirm which users were impacted by this bug, unquote. Okay, so it's actually kind of a nice privacy practice to not keep these logs any longer than necessary. Unfortunately, what that means is you also don't have evidence uh, if you find something went wrong in this case, prior to the two weeks ago, uh, they can't really go back and figure out uh, who was impacted. So the, the bug was around for a really long time, but they only keep two weeks worth of logs. And Google basically said, we have no way to know, <laughs> unfortunately, who whose data might have been accessed. So therefore, we're just not going to say anything. Now, you know, that's debatable whether or not that's a good policy. Um, I would personally say that's probably not a good policy. But from their point of view, all they could really say is there was a breach. We don't know what happened, uh, and we don't know if you were affected. So why say anything? Okay, so that's our argument. It's kind of weak. But um, in response to this, instead of trying to fix it, Google's basically saying, you know what? This service isn't worth it. We're not getting enough people involved. Let's just throw the whole thing out the window and be done with it. So you know, if you want, if you want to do something about this, you can just delete your Google Plus account. Uh, if you just uh, <laughs> if you just Google for Google uh, delete Google Plus account, I'm sure you will find the instructions. I do have a, a link in the show notes if you want to just go to it from there. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. You've probably never used it, um, but you know maybe you signed up for a long time ago and never used it, so you might want to go back and just clear that out. Okay, now I want to circle back on something I talked about. Oh gosh, it's probably been a couple months ago now, and I was talking to you about all the data brokers in this country, and there and there are reports that say there's between 2,500 and 4,000 data brokers or data aggregators uh, in the U.S. alone. Um, uh, you've heard of some of them; those would be like Equifax. Uh, they have they had a lot of data, and they let that data get loose. And as near as I can tell, there's been really no repercussions for that, which is just horrid. But uh, LexisNexis is another really huge one, and it's one you may have never heard of. And now if you're a lawyer or a journalist, you've probably heard of it because this they, they, this service is commonly used uh, by those professions to find all sorts of information. And the bulk of this information, they claim, is all from public records. The difference is, uh, and where, they, where their value add is as a company, is they have collected and aggregated and sorted and put all these things together in these massive reports. So it used to be back in the old day, yeah, okay, your property tax records and your mortgage stuff and your voting uh, registration information that was all on or that was all on record, it was public record. But to get to those records, you had to physically walk down to your county clerk office or something and ask to see those reports. But today, much of that information is online or it's being made available to other companies that are digitizing it, uh, like LexisNexis, on uh, mass and and now. You know, for, I don't know what these reports cost. If I wanted to buy a report, let's say, on you, uh, I could probably do that um, for, for a certain amount of money. And that they claim, well, it's not private. Anybody, any human could get this information. But instead of, you know, me having to fly to you, to your local county clerk's office to try to get this information, I could just go online and pay 20 bucks or whatever and get this massive report. So um, I wanted to know what information LexisNexis had on me. I wanted to see my full report and kind of like your 
credit report, um, you actually, I don't know if this is a legal requirement, but if, but, uh, for this kind of information, but LexisNexis makes this report available to you for free. So I, I think I, I think I had an online form that I filled out, but the thing is they, the form of the report when they send it to you is a pile of paper, which is basically useless and impossible for a human to really digest, which honestly, I don't think is a mistake. <laughs> I think, you know, basically they want to say, you want, you want it fine. Here it is. And they just dump a bunch of paper. So to be clear, my report from LexisNexis was 320 pages long, two-sided. That's a lot of information. So I just wanted to tell you what I found when I got this report. And I obviously could not read that all page, you know, cover to cover, but I did skim through the entire thing. Uh, and I just wanted to give you an idea of, of what information they have on me. And they probably almost certainly have on you as well. So they have every address I've ever had back to high school. Um, now they don't have some of my college addresses, which I thought was interesting, but they've got pretty much everything else. Um, any home I've ever bought, they've got the value of that home and the purchase price, all the mortgage information with, about that home, uh, the home and the property characteristics, including each exact type and location of mailbox. Um, and by the way, this was by far the bulk of the report. So I've, I haven't had a lot of houses in my life, but I've had a few. Um, and the reports on each of those houses were just massive. You know, it, it's basically like a huge database dump and it, because a lot of the fields were empty. Um, so even if the field wasn't populated, even if there was nothing in that, in that field, they still printed a place for it. So as you can imagine, they, they track all sorts of little bits of information and even weird things. Um, you know, does it have a boat port or, you know, does it have a, uh, a place for a jet ski, uh, all sorts of really just odd facts and factoids about property and homes and location uh, all in this report. And whether or not you had that information associated with yours or not, there was a placeholder for it. So that's that's one of the reasons this report was just so massive. Um, but I just want to run through real quick. Here's some other, here's some of the other things that I thought were interesting that were, that were in this report. So past phone numbers and email addresses, uh, insurance claims on houses and cars, because some of the reason that this report is used, it's used by other insurance to find out other insurance companies to find out how insurable you are. And it's not, and what they really want to know is, does this person file a lot of claims? Cause that might be someone they don't want to cover. Uh, liens, any liens I have on any of the properties, lawsuits, civil filings, judgments, my criminal record, which in my case was zero, but a lot of people, that's not true. Fishing and hunting licenses, uh, firearms and concealed carry information, sex offender status, uh, bankruptcy records, uh, FAA aircraft records and certifications, watercraft records, in other words, boats, uh, marriages, voter registration, um, what else? Business information. If you've got a business education records, uh, which actually for me was oddly empty again, but for some reason, like there's like this black hole for my college years. So I'm not sure if that's true for everybody, but for some reason, my college stuff wasn't covered in this report. And as far as some of the uh, sources they listed for the, some of this information, Equifax was a big one. Not surprising. Uh, another one called Newstar, N-E-U-S-T-A-R and one called E-Merges, uh, which is, I guess, for voter registration. So anyway, there's just a ton, a ton of information in this report. Again, 320 pages back and front uh, for me. And it's, it's just crazy. So that just gives you some idea of what these guys have and what they're selling to other people. All right. And finally, our big story of the week. So 
a week ago uh, or so, Bloomberg dropped this massive article that they had been working on literally for years um, to bring to light. And the, the basic claim of the story is that they had discovered up to 30 different companies, including uh, Amazon and Apple, that have purchased equipment from manufacturers that contained little tiny chips, computer chips, mounted to the motherboards of these computers that basically allowed China to hack the computers at any time. Now, I'm going to read you, uh, I'm going to read you some of the key parts of this story. Um, and it all starts with Amazon, who was looking to buy a company called Elemental, and they were going to use this company to, to, to serve up its Amazon Prime video service. So this company made servers, which are, you know, fancy name for heavy-duty computers. Uh, and as they were looking at these servers that were going to serve up this digital content, they found some, some troubling things, so they started to look deeper, and they sent it off to a particular company to do a hardware analysis. And supposedly, um, this company, uh, Elemental, who buys its motherboards from a San Jose-based, uh, San Jose, California-based company called Supermicro, found that there were supposedly these little chips on the, the motherboards, and they determined that these were spying chips that would allow somebody, um, in this case, they were, they assumed because they were installed by a Chinese manufacturer, even though Supermicro's in this country, I guess um, the, some part of the manufacturing process allowed a Chinese company to uh, insert these little chips onto the, micro, uh, onto the motherboards, which would allow these computers, wherever they were, to be hacked and controlled uh, from China. Obviously, that is a really, really big claim. Um, so let me read a little bit from this article, and then we're going to talk about uh, Apple and Amazon had some really, really firm denials. And I'm going to cover just Apple's in that case. And then we're going to kind of sum up and figure out, you know, what does this really mean? Um, and there's a lot of nuances to this. So, all right. So let me just read first from the Bloomberg, the original Bloomberg article. It says, Nested on the server's motherboards, the testers found a tiny microchip, not much bigger than a grain of rice, that wasn't part of the board's original design. Amazon reported the discovery to U.S. authorities, sending a shudder through the intelligence community. Elemental servers could be found in the Department of Defense, data centers, the CIA's drone operations, and the onboard networks of Navy warships. And Elemental was just one of hundreds of supermicro customers. During the ensuing top-secret probe, which remains open more than three years later, Investigators determined that the chips allowed the attackers to create a stealth doorway into any network that included the altered machines. People familiar with the matter say that investigators found that the chips had been inserted at factories run by uh, manufacturing subcontractors in China. There are two ways for spies to alter the guts of computer equipment. One, known as interdiction consists of manipulating devices as they're in transit from manufacturer to customer. This approach is favored by U.S. spy agencies, according to documents leaked by formal National Security Agency contractor Edward Snowden. The other method involves seeding changes from the very beginning. One country in particular has an advantage executing this kind of attack, China, which by some estimate makes 75% of the world's mobile phones and 90% of the PCs. Still, to actually accomplish a seeding attack, would mean developing a deep understanding of a product's design, manipulating components at the factory, and ensuring that the doctor devices made it through the global logistics chain to the desired location, a feat akin to throwing a stick in the Yangtze River upstream from Shanghai and ensuring that it washes ashore in Seattle. 
But that's just what U.S. investigators found. The chips had been inserted during the manufacturing process, to officials say, by operatives from a unit of the People's Liberation Army. In Supermicro, China's spies appear to have found a perfect conduit for what U.S. officials now described as the most significant supply chain attack known to have been carried out against American companies. One official says investigators found that it eventually affected almost 30 companies, including a major bank, government contractors, and the world's most valuable company, Apple Inc. Apple was an important supermicro customer and had planned to order more than 30,000 of its servers in two years for a global network of data centers. Three senior insiders at Apple say that in the summer of 2015, it too found malicious chips on Supermicro micro motherboards. Apple severed ties with Supermicro the following year for what it describes as unrelated reasons. Okay, so this article is actually really, really long, and there's a lot of detail in this that I'm not going to go into. But that's the gist of it. Basically, they're saying that uh, China was able to insert some of these tiny little spy chips into computers that were bought by a lot of really big companies, including the government, uh, the U.S. government, Apple and Amazon. Now, Apple and Amazon immediately issued denials. And while you might think, okay, that's normal, they're going to do that, why wouldn't they? Uh, if you've ever seen things like this in the past, a lot of the company's denials are very kind of milk toast, kind of, you know, vague, purposefully vague. You know, we didn't do exactly this, you know, maybe meaning that that wasn't what happened, but something else did happen that, you know, that they're not talking about, you know, those kind of things are kind of the, you know, the word parsing games that you kind of expect from, you know, PR lawyers and big companies when they want to make sure that their stock price isn't affected by stories like this. Um, but in this case, both Amazon and Apple's denials were extremely long and so and specific uh, and thorough um, and don't leave really any room for wiggle. So uh, I'm just going to read some of uh, Apple's response to this because I think it's good to get both sides and we'll and then we'll continue talking about what's really going on. All right, so this is from Apple's response to this story. Over the course of the past year, Bloomberg has contacted contacted us multiple times with claims, sometimes vague and sometimes elaborate, of an alleged security incident at Apple. Each time we have conducted rigorous internal investigations based on their inquiries, and each time we have found absolutely no evidence to support any of them. We have repeatedly and consistently offered factual responses, on the record, refuting virtually every aspect of Bloomberg's story relating to Apple. On this, we can be very clear. Apple has never found malicious chips, hardware manipulations, or vulnerabilities purposely planted in any server. Apple never had any contact with the FBI or any other agency with, about such an incident. We are not aware of any investigation by the FBI, nor are our contacts in law enforcement. As a matter of practice, before servers are put into production at Apple, they are inspected for security vulnerabilities and we update all firmware and software with the latest protections. We did not uncover any unusual vulnerabilities in the servers we purchased from Supermicro when we updated the firmware and software according to our standard procedures. We are deeply disappointed that in their dealings with us, Bloomberg reporters have not been open to the possibility that they or their sources might be wrong or misinformed. Our best guess is that they were confusing their story with a previously reported 2016 incident, incident in which we discovered an infected driver on a single Supermicro server in one of our labs. That one-time event was determined to be accidental and not a targeted attack against Apple. While there, while there has been no claim that customer data was involved, we take these allegations seriously and we want users to know that we do everything possible to safeguard the 
personal information they entrust to us. We also want them to know that what Bloomberg is reporting about Apple is inaccurate. Apple has always believed in being transparent about the ways we handle and protect data. If there were ever such an event as Bloomberg News has claimed, we would be forthcoming about it and we would work closely with law enforcement. Apple engineers conduct regular and rigorous security screenings to ensure that our systems are safe. We know that security is an endless race, and that's why we constantly fortify our systems against increasingly sophisticated hackers and cyber criminals who want to steal our data. Okay, so I, there was actually a little bit more to it than that that I didn't get into, but that's a pretty strong denial. Um, and after those denials from both Apple and Amazon, there came other reports uh, from cybersecurity experts uh, and, and even intelligence agencies uh, who basically said, yeah, we don't, we don't know anything about this, but if we're going to believe somebody, we probably think Apple's closer to right than Bloomberg. Uh, Bloomberg has stuck by its story. Uh, it's been working on this for a really long time. You really would think that it's, you know, they'd get it right. It's kind of hard in situations like this, certainly for the average person to, to figure out who's right and who's wrong. Um, but there's a lot of, so there's a lot of key takeaways in this one for me. So let me just walk through some of these things. Uh, first of all, these the hacks that they described uh, in the Bloomberg article uh, are absolutely possible. Um, supply chain threats, uh, which is to say, you know, somebody, the, all the amazing number of parts and processes that go into making a, a phone or a PC, there's a lot of different companies involved. And, you know, anywhere along those lines, somebody could insert something uh, malicious into into the hardware or the software. So we have to assume that these kind of threats are real. They certainly are, uh, and they probably do happen. Um, but that doesn't mean that the, the way that Bloomberg described this actually did happen. And the weird thing for me is if it did happen, as they say, there should be thousands of these things out there. We should just be able to go find one uh, in, you know, the, at Apple or Amazon or one of the companies they say that has one of these devices. Go open it up and look at it and find one of these chips that's it's right there. It, it's... It, it would be obvious now that you know to look for it. Uh, to my knowledge, that has not happened. So that is odd. Uh, next, the Bloomberg story had 17 different sources, which, you know, sounds like a lot. Uh, they were, unfortunately, all anonymous. Now, you know, that makes sense, unfortunately, because these guys are probably all getting in deep trouble. Let's say if it was somebody in the FBI or somebody in Apple and they were to, uh, to leak these things, they really couldn't go on the record and do it. So, you know, in a, state, in a case like this, it's not odd that they would be anonymous, but unfortunately for us, they're all anonymous. We can't follow up with any of them. We have to take uh, Bloomberg's word for it. So, you know, again, many security researchers and intelligence organizations um, have found various problems with the story, the way it was written, uh, and most of them believe that it is not accurate uh, on various levels. But more than likely, there's some middle ground here. There's there's some, there, there probably is some grain of truth to some of these things, but it's going to be really hard to figure out, you know, what that is. Again, if they could just find find one of these devices in the wild and find one with that chip on it, that would go a long way. But again, I don't believe that's happened. The other thing is, you know, Apple's denial, you know, unlike often is the case when these kind of things come up and the companies just kind of put a blanket, vague denial uh, out there. This one is not like that. This, <laughs> this is not just fluff. Uh, you know, Apple is a publicly traded company. And if they were to lie about something like this, uh, there would be some severe repercussions, um, you know, not just in their reputation and, and their stock price, but, you know, likely lawsuits and even, you know, potentially federal penalties. Um, so it is it's a big deal for them to go on record uh, as vehemently denying this as they have. 
um, in the way they did. So I would certainly believe that whoever wrote those documents at Apple's firmly believes that what they said was true. Now, of course, you know, you could start thinking about things like, well, you know, is it possible that the Apple PR team and, you know, and lawyers and maybe even the top executives, maybe they weren't aware of what happened, but maybe there were some low-level people at Apple who did. You know, so while the people making the statements firmly believe them to be true, they don't know the whole story. That's possible. Some people have thought, you know, maybe they're under some sort of a gag order, you know, from the NSA or the FBI. Uh, though Apple's made it clear that that they are not, they're, at least they say they are not. But again, it might be that the people who wrote these, that wrote the denial aren't, but that the people who do know what's going on were, you know, maybe. <laughs> we, it's going to be so hard to know. But so far, you know, everybody's claiming that is not the case. Also, if this is true, or if any of this is true, the Supermicro is likely more likely a victim here than the perpetrator. Um, again, they were just probably the ones that assembled these parts. You know, and these companies have a real vested interest in being trusted. If you, you can't, you can't be a global manufacturing company if nobody trusts you. And in fact, after that article came out, Supermicro stock fell from twenty-one dollars and forty cents down to twelve dollars and forty cents. That's over forty percent in one day, uh, just because of this story. It, think about that. So if you were going to pack, if you're going to hack some hardware and you put that into every single product that you were going to ship, well, first of all, potentially if you have, that's just too much data to monitor. If you've got, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of these devices out there and they're all calling home with data, you know, you've got this huge haystack now where, you know, maybe you're only targeting a small subset of those people. So does that make sense? Uh, also, if you're really going to put them in, in everything, just in hopes of getting it to the one or two or three or 30 companies that you want to monitor, you're at much, much greater risk than of being detected. And being detected is not what you want. You know, it makes much more sense just to modify the products, uh, the products that are destined for your target. If there's somebody you're, you want to spy on, it makes much more sense just to modify the ones that are going to them. So that's more of a supply chain thing where you would do that during shipping, right? So uh, instead of modifying all your computers to have this hack in it, you would, you know, find the ones that are being shipped off to Apple or the government, uh, the U.S. government, um, and just modify those. The other thing that's kind of strange here is, you know, if you're going to do this with a hardware hack is hardware hacks are visible. I mean, it's, it's, they're physical, you know, maybe not to the naked eye. There are ways to implant things, but I mean, with x-ray, x-ray machines and other types of scanning, if there's something there that's not supposed to be there, that can be seen. Uh, whereas software, it's a lot more, it's at least invisible to the naked eye. Uh, unless you do some really, you know, unless you open up ships and do some really weird things to try to get the software out of them to find out what actual software is on there. It's not, it's one thing for the company to say, oh, here's the software we put on there, but it's quite another to, to actually look at the actual software that's been loaded on the device. So, uh, you know, hardware hacking might not be the way to go in some of these cases anyway, it might be software instead. Another, I was reading an article uh, with some other, with Brian Krebs and another security guy. Uh, and one of the things he said is you can't, um, if you can't build in security, then build in accountability. Uh, so in other words, living in a world where this is possible, and it certainly is possible, um, there's so many manufacturers and so many subcontractors and things going on that we just honestly can't possibly keep track of it all. Although we do try in a lot of cases, the government and companies like Apple do spend the money to inspect these devices uh, randomly, you know, picking some out of each lot and looking for something weird. But um, you know, given that the chances of you being able to stop all these things is, is nil, 
some of them will get through. The next best thing you can do is build in accountability, which, you know, so maybe if you can't control the production of these things, you build in unchangeable logging uh, so that everything that happens is logged and cannot be altered. Uh, and other, you know, similar accounting mechanisms, though, so that when a hack is detected, you can trace uh, the origin of that hack with high confidence. And that makes that significantly raises the risks risks for the people who put in the hack, right? So it's so it's not preventing the hack, but if it, if we can, after the fact, once we determine that there is a hack, be able to uh, attribute the hack to a particular you know particular production line at a particular facility on a particular date, then that would make it really hard for the person who did that to deny it. And finally, one more thing, just to maybe, you know, maybe make it feel a little bit better. A lot of these hardware attacks, you know, might be geared toward the really big companies like Amazon or whatever who who operate these massive what we call cloud services, right? So their big thing is they've got these huge, huge racks upon racks of super high power computers. Uh, and when you, as a customer, buy computing space basically from them. They set up these virtual machines that run across all these things. So, you know, one physical server box could actually have multiple tenants, as they call them. Um, and which tenants are on which box can actually change over time. And so it would be really actually, from a practical standpoint, be really kind of hard to target anybody in a scenario like that. Like, you know, let's say I wanted to snoop on, you know, Ford or GE or one of these companies that I know that they rent uh, virtual servers from Amazon, you know, being able to figure out which of those virtual servers are currently being used by Ford or GE um, would be hard. Furthermore, since we're harding, if we're hacking the hardware here, these guys are upgrading their hardware all the time. These things do not have a long shelf life. So if it took you, you know, a year to put together this program of slipping this chip into the motherboard and get into the server, well, that server may be only in service for two to three years. Is that worth it? I don't know. So there are a lot of nuances to this. There are a lot of things that make this impractical. There are a lot of things that make this really hard. Uh, so it's not quite as straightforward as you, you know, it's, oh my gosh, you know, trying to put a little chip on all of our computers and now they're, you know, they know everything we're doing. It's not quite that simple as is mostly the case with any of these cybersecurity uh, things, which is really the point I'm driving home uh, by talking about all of this, is it's really easy to grab headlines and grab attention and what we call clickbait on the web, you know, because they want you to click because when you click, you see their ads. And when you see their ads, they get money. So uh, same thing with TV, right? You know, uh, will watching the news kill you? Tune in at 11. We'll let you know, right? So, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. It's all, it's all these things. They're all, they're all out there vying for your attention because at the end of the day, they're all advertising based. And the more eyeballs they get, the more money they make on advertising. So you've got to take these things with a massive grain of salt. And when these big articles come out that sound like the sky is falling, give it some time. Let the let other experts and other independent bodies look at these things and give their uh, replies and rebut these things. And and But sadly, at the end of the day, we probably won't always know everything that happens anyway. But thank goodness we do have investigative journalism out there. And, you know, I do salute Bloomberg for, you know, uh, publishing this very risky article and trying to make us aware of something that they obviously firmly believe is going on so that we can discuss and debate and research and figure out what's really going on. Okay, so let's step back from the edge here a minute and uh, wrap up with our tip of the week. And as I said earlier, this is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So it's a great time to, to kind of take a step back and look over your current cybersecurity and privacy situation and see if you can't make things a little bit better. And uh, one of the big themes for the National Cybersecurity Awareness Month this month is to help others do that as well. 
which is something, of course, I've been uh, saying all along. And it's not just for you and not just you, the listener, that needs to worry about these things or needs to, uh, to do the things uh, that make yourself uh, safer and guard your privacy. You need to be spreading that to others as well. Uh, it's a herd immunity thing. The more people of us that, that, that take these protections, the better off we will all be, even for the, the ones that don't get around to doing it. Because if, if the bulk of us uh, are protected against malware and uh, some of these privacy violations, it will actually help the rest of us as well. All right. So I actually have multiple tips for you. Things that I've talked about before. Some of these things are simple. Some of these things are a little more uh, involved. Uh, some of these things you will probably need to look up a little bit uh, to get some instructions. But I just kind of, the, the, the point I want to take this week is kind of closing some security holes, you know, finding the chinks in your armor and repairing those. Um, and so a lot of ways, what we call, this is what we call in the security world, we call this your attack surface. We call this minimizing your attack surface. So, you know, finding places that where you could be vulnerable that maybe you're not paying attention to, or that you just don't need anymore. So let me give you an example. So first of all, the Google plus account, if you ever set this up, even if you're using it or not, just go find it and delete it. Um, there's no reason to have it. Obviously there's been some security concerns around that. So just go find your Google plus account stuff and just delete it. Likewise, Facebook, if, if you can bring yourself to do it, um, if you've finally gotten sick of Facebook and all the things that they're doing and, uh, treading all over your privacy and trading in your data and all these security problems they've had, um, just quit. Just, just say no, give up on Facebook. I know it's hard. I know uh, for a lot of people that it's the way they keep in touch. Um, and we will need to find some secure replacements for things like Facebook. Uh, they will come, especially if people leave Facebook and demand, uh, these sorts of things, uh, there will be companies that will rise up and say, you know, we'll, we'll take their place and you may have to pay for it, but you'll know at that point that they're at least <laughs> trying to uh, respect your privacy and, and be a little more secure. So Facebook, delete Facebook if you can bring yourself to do that. Uh, Adobe Flash, uh, this should have been dead years ago. Uh, it's mostly gone from the web. Uh, however, it's still a very, very popular target for, for bad guys, and it is rife with bugs. They're constantly, month, every month, shipping out often dozens per month critical fixes to Adobe Flash. Uh, it's just awful. So uh, if you're using Chrome, it's actually built into the browser. So, uh, and I think by default now Chrome has it set to, uh, always ask whether or not to invoke the flash player. So at least it's not running by default. Make sure that if you do have Chrome, that that setting is set to always ask or just turn it off. Uh, if you've got any other web browser, uh, go into your extensions or your add-ons or plugins or whatever that browser uh, calls it and make sure that you do not have Adobe flash installed. If you do remove it, um, if you go to the, my website, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, and search on um, uh, Delete Flash, you will find an article there with all the information you need. Uh, similarly, another very popular product that is also riddled with bugs is uh, Adobe Reader, which is a PDF uh, reader and editor in some cases. It's powerful. It's popular. It's pre-installed on a lot of devices, especially PCs. Um, but it has lots and lots of bugs and there are much better products. So if you're on a Mac, you've already got the one you need. That's called preview. Uh, it's a great, uh, PDF viewer, uh, and even a PDF editor, uh, PDF, by the way, portable document format. If you're not familiar, um, it's a, it's a kind of a universal document format that should, uh, work anywhere, Mac, PC, Linux, mobile, whatever. Uh, that's this whole kind of thing is that it's, uh, it's portable. <laughs> it's, it's usable anywhere. So anyway, so if you're on a Mac, use preview. You should already be using that. And that should already be your default. Uh, if you're on a PC, you might want to try nitro PDF. Uh, it's free. Uh, it's lightweight. 
It's very simple. It's very straightforward. Um, and to my knowledge, is much, much more secure than Adobe Reader. Some other general uh, points to reducing your attack service. Uh, delete any old accounts that you're no longer using. So if you've got an old Yahoo email account or uh, Friendster, MySpace, I don't even know if those are still around. But you know, if you've got old accounts that, um, that you created a long time ago that you're no longer using, absolutely just get rid of them. Um, you may actually have a hard time finding what those things are, but maybe, you know, go back them through some of your e old, old emails and see if you've got sign up emails there or, you know, welcome to, uh, this service kind of emails, um, uh, dig through those and jog your memory and try to find some of those. Maybe if you've used, you know, browser bookmarks a lot, you know, favorites, uh, to keep track of those things, maybe dig through some of your old favorites and find them there uh, and just close those accounts and get rid of them. Likewise, uh, on your computer, as well as on your mobile devices, if you've got any applications that you're no longer using, ditch them. Uh, that especially includes things like plugins and add-ons, toolbars on your browser, um, other little utilities that are constantly running in the background. Uh, dig through uh, your settings, uh, look at your logon settings, your startup items, find those things. And if you're not using them, delete them. You, in most cases, they're free. You can always re-download them again later, or if you've purchased them, you should be able to re-download them again later. Um, so, you know, err on the side of caution. You know, if you're, if you think you, you might use it, okay. Uh, but if you're pretty sure you haven't used it, then just get rid of it. And in the worst case, you can always uh, install it again later. And at that point, you'll make sure you've got the latest version as well, which is also good. Same thing for your phone. Uh, there's, you know, the, there are free apps come around all the time and you want to go grab them while they're free because they're on sale or special. Uh, and then you never use them. Uh, those as well. Just go, you know, dig through your phone, dig through your tablet, find all the old applications you're no longer using and just get rid of them. You can always get them again later if you really need them. Uh, but every one of those applications is a potential security hole. So if you're not using it, you should ditch it. All right. And that's going to do it. There's plenty of other things that we could, we could talk about, but I think there's some really good ones to cover. Kind of do some house cleaning um, and go back and get rid of things that you don't need anymore uh, and close up those potential holes in, in your security walls. Now, one more bonus tip: the the, the midterm elections are coming up soon. Uh, they, you know, everybody says this, but this this election is a big one, and we should all be participating. Uh, you can't, you know, you can't complain if you don't participate. So, and we all have to complain. <laughs> so, get out there, make sure you are registered to vote. Uh, there's been a lot of voter purges. There's been a lot of registrations that have been canceled for for weird reasons that I think, honestly, are frankly illegal in a lot of cases, but just make sure you're registered. I know you probably think you are. You probably were. Just make sure you still are uh, while you have time to register. The elections are coming up very soon. In fact, uh, there may have been some deadlines that have already come and gone. So uh, go out there, make sure, absolutely sure you're registered. Do the same thing for your families and friends. Uh, make sure you're all still good to go. And then when the, when the time comes, get out there and vote. And if you can vote early, that's usually the best way to go. Because um, uh, it's kind of, you know, oftentimes it's hard to get off on the day of the, uh, of the vote. But early voting is usually uh, open on at least some weekends. So look into doing that as well. Um, get out there, vote, make your voices heard. And that's going to do it. We had a really long news news one today, didn't we? Uh, so a lot of stuff to cover. And that one Bloomberg article was really big. So I want to make sure I uh, hit that one in depth. So that is it for this week. Uh, again, uh, along with National Cybersecurity Awareness Week, it would be a great time to go out and buy the book for yourself or some friends or family. Uh, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. It's on Amazon. It's on A Press. It's on Barnes and Noble. Uh, it's everywhere. So uh, go find the book uh, and uh, 
maybe give that to some other people who could use some help as well. And that's it. That's it for this week. We'll be out next week. We should have an interview uh, coming next week. And uh, stay safe, everybody out there. And as always, don't get caught with the garbage. Time.